Yeah, so like Matt said and almost started preaching about, uh, we're going to talk about the gathering today. Uh, so turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Um, I have to admit, if it looks like I'm uh, moving like an old man, it's because I, I feel like one. I guess maybe uh, feel like an elder uh, now that I'm installed as one. Um, no, but uh, actually... Yesterday, um, Christian Gentle and myself ran a Tough mutter just outside of St. Louis. It was fun, but I learned about five new ways that my body can hurt. Um, and I don't think it's just because I'm over 30, because Christian, I think, is hurting a little bit today, too. So, um, But it was fun, and yet it just caused me to reflect on that, like, this past year, I think for many of us, we've learned about five new ways that we can hurt. This past year was tough, Right? For so many of us, it was turbulent, and I don't even think I have to begin to list off ways that it was, because you're thinking through about three or four, at least, that you experienced. And the isolation of COVID just made it that much harder. And loneliness and anxiety and depression amongst people across the board is on the rise. It's because we've been built for community. Like, God has, has created us. God is a community, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, and, and he's created us to live in community. And so uh, we need this gathering, right? And that's, that's what we're talking about. Like, we need to be living in community always throughout the week, but, but, but we're supposed to gather in this. And so we're going to dive into that. And, and it's not just, like, the gathering is not just beneficial and, and so, like a religious obligation that we've got to follow. That just gonna, I'm going to give you some rules as to why you've got to do it. Um, that's not what we're going to talk about uh, primarily today. Yes, it's commanded to us, but man, it's a gift. And we get to see like kind of um, a little picture into that. And, and Harvard just recently did a, a study. Um, they've got this program on, on human flourishing. Um, and, and so it's not, not religious at all, right? Harvard Secular School. Uh, so this program wasn't looking to support uh, what they found, um, but it is what they found uh, regarding religious gatherings said the study showed that women who attended religious services at least once per week had a 68% lower risk of death from despair compared to those who never attended services. Men who attended services at least once per week had a 33% lower risk of death from despair. Then another study um, done by the same lead guy, I don't really know how, Vanderweel or something like that is his last name, um, probably mispronouncing that. But in the Journal of Epidemiology, they, they published this other one that said that service, religious service attendance was also inversely associated with a number of psychological distress outcomes, such as depression and anxiety, hopelessness and loneliness. And it was positively associated with Psychological well-being outcomes, all right? Life satisfaction, social integration, and purpose in life. And these findings, like from a secular place, right, is just the tip of the iceberg as to the incredible gift that God has provided to us when he says, don't neglect to meet together. Like, be a part of a regular gathering with God's people. Like, like, even the world can look in and see the benefits that God intends to provide. And so, this week in our series on the church, we're going to take a deep dive into to why. Not just for those, those other things the world's able to see, but also for, for the ways that God intends to, to move and shape us in ways by the gospel that are for our good and for his glory. And for the good of those who we interact with as we scatter throughout the week. And for so many of us, weekly Chabot that we grew up with, 
All right, it was just kind of one checklist or check mark on a, on a list of tasks that we needed to do to be good or to be a good Christian or whatever it may be. Or maybe, maybe you just went because you were forced to growing up. Right? For others of us, we're like, oh, it's nice. I kind of like it. I like seeing people. But, but is it really necessary? Right, I can see sermons online. Like I can, I can get a message. I can get much better preaching than this guy standing up here today online in lots of different places, right? Uh, maybe you're a salt student and you're, you're, you're thinking like, can't Thursday nights just be my gathering? Like, is that like what the same thing is what we do here? Like, do I really have to then come here as well? And so we really want to dive into what, what is special about what happens here with all of God's people, cross generations and cross uh, diverse ethnicities and, and diverse backgrounds. Like, why is this special? What is God doing here with, with pictures of baptism and, and the Lord's Supper and, and all of the aspects of what we do here? Why is it such an incredible gift from the Lord? And so let's read first from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25, begin to unpack this incredible gift. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, saying in light of all of that, let us draw near with a, with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just ask that Lord, the reading of your word and the preaching of your word, God, would just have Lord, your hand of blessing on it today, that your spirit would work and move in our lives. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. God, I pray that you would fill me to preach with the power of your Holy Spirit, not by my own strength, but by yours and, and the grace of Jesus. God, just work and move. Lead us to appreciate all that Jesus has done for us. Lead it to love one another well, to glorify your name. God, I pray that as we, as we hear your word, that we would be transformed today for your glory and the good of others. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we can recognize the beauty of the gift of the gathering um, and, and why it's so vital to the Christian life, we've got to recognize that this past year, though as hard as it was, it's not just a one-time aberration. Even as gathering with people like, becomes normal in all kinds of settings again, there's a significant reason that we need to gather as the church. And what we, we see it here in this passage with the last phrase, but before I get to that last phrase, I just want to set a little bit more context. The verses 19 to 25 that we just read in the, in the original language is just one long sentence. All right, and so it's all hanging together. We've got periods and commas everywhere. That wasn't there in the original Greek. But, so this was all just one long thought from the author that hangs together. Um, and that's important because basically the first ten and a half chapters of the book of Hebrews was this argument building up how amazing and how unique and how supreme the gospel of Jesus Christ is. 
and how beautiful Jesus is and how he's unique. That's what the gospel is. It's the story of Jesus and why his life, death, and resurrection is good news for you and for me. And so all of that builds up to verse 19 where it says, Therefore, saying in light of all of this, about the beauty of Jesus and the good news about him, since we have confidence to enter the holy places and since we have a great high priest, he goes on and then he gives us three exhortations. He says, let us draw near, let us hold fast, and let us consider. But he ends all of that with this one little phrase and says, do these things all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you see the day drawing near? What is he talking about there? You mentioned some of your trans- It's kind of the day in the, in the New Testament here is shorthand for what Old Testament prophets would have said, the day of the Lord, all right, the return of Jesus. It's the day of, of final salvation and judgment. So it's the day in which we as believers in Jesus who placed our trust in him that turned from sin and trusted that he could forgive us of sins. For us, it's a day we get to look forward to and we get to place our hope in and that we get to move towards and, and look forward to. For others that, that don't trust in Jesus, it's the day when all things will be made right before God, when there's no further opportunity to choose to follow Jesus and find grace and hope in the gospel. So the day of the Lord, like that, that's the, the end point for which we're, we're moving towards. All of history is moving towards that. And, and so he's saying the day is drawing near. But why does he mention that? What's the importance of that? Why, why does he place that there at the end? And all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's because in the Gospels, when Jesus talked about that day, you could even go back to the Old Testament, when the Old Testament prophets were pointing forward to that day, they talk about how like, the change and the intensity and the, the difficulties are just going to get worse and worse and worse as we approach the day. Like things aren't going to just like get better and better and better and better and better and better until one day like we're at the kingdom of God, like we somehow we bring in the kingdom. No, like, like things because of sin will continue to get more and more turbulent until the end because sin breaks down everything it touches. And then one day Jesus will come and make it all right. And, and so the day... Um, it, helps us to realize he brings it to the fore here in verse 25 to remind us of the problem that we face, that the instability that we've seen over this past year and the instability we see in life, the instability we face is only going to continue to increase. The hardships you face early in life and in this past year, like there will be new ones and there will be more difficult ones that will come down the pipe. We don't know what they will be, but the instability we feel is not going away. The intensity of changes and challenges is going to continue and only continue to grow. Like, it's just kind of like that thing like, you know, hey, you know, as a kid, you feel like maybe you're, you're busy in high school. In college, you really feel like you're busy. Then you get married and have a job and you really feel like you're busy and you can't get any busier. And then you have kids um, and then the third one's on the way. And like, I'm like, where in the world do I have time anymore? Um, and so um, it, like, it's kind of like that. Like it, the instability will only grow. 
in the world around us. The good news is we, like, we don't have to feel that instability in our soul. The good news is we don't, we don't have to, to have that turmoil within our soul. Like We can find stability in Christ. We'll get to that good news in a moment, but we need to recognize the instability that we're going to face. When Jesus talked about the day, as it gets closer, he said that we'll be facing more intense suffering, persecution, distraction, division, temptation, false teaching, and much more. He talked about all these things and how it was just going to build and get worse and worse. And I feel like I, yesterday, like I said, we did this Tough Mudder thing, and um, it felt like it was a bit like the, the course designer was like, how can I build this so I just break them down, all right, as much as possible. And so we're getting through the race. We're about halfway through, and we're like, oh, this isn't too bad. And then they're like, we're not going to put any obstacles for two miles, and so you're just going to run and run and run. And then we're going to load up all of these intense, hard obstacles right at the end. Right when you can see the finish line, you're going to realize, no, you got to go through five more obstacles that are just going to, like, cut your hands up and, like, and hurt you in, like, ten different ways, right? And, and it's a bit, like, as I was running through that, and I was thinking about some of, like, what I was going to be talking about tomorrow even. You have a lot of time to, to think because you're running on the course. And so um, I was just thinking, like, this is kind of what it's like. Like, it's just going to get more intense as we get towards the end. And man, there's sweet relief coming when Jesus comes back, but like, it's going to be hard. It doesn't get easier as we run the race. Oftentimes, like, as we grow in maturity in Christ, like, like Satan throws harder things at us because he wants to destabilize our faith in any way possible. And yet, that's where we can come to understand the beauty and the greatness of Christ even more. And so as the day gets closer, the enemy, though, is seeking by any means possible to destabilize our faith, faith, distracting us, discouraging us, dividing us, deconstructing God's story for us. And we are so easily distracted. As we scatter in our lives throughout the week, the world grasps for our attention and our commitments. We face temptations and sufferings of all kinds. I mean, land that today, particularly on Mother's Day, I feel like it's, it's really appropriate to think about, like, for moms, the, those of you in here, like, you get this. Like, there's a million things coming at you, and then your kids come up with five new ways, like, to, to throw curveballs at you in the middle of an already hard week, right? Like, I watch it all the time with my boys, right? We think they can't do anything crazier than what they did last week, and then they'll come up with something new, right? And you're just exhausted. And yet, that... oftentimes can feel like it only gets more exhausting. <laughs> and those of you that are longing to be mothers, and you can't yet. You don't know if you'll be able to. That pain that you're feeling, facing suffering and struggling with that longing. Those of you over this past year that maybe you lost your mother, you're wrestling with the grief and the pain, and the brokenness that sin has caused. Students, you've gone through a year in which it's just like, you don't, like, week to week, like, things are changing, and how your classes are handled, and, like, what it's going to look like, and you went from, like, paying a ton of money to come to a school in person, and now all your classes are online, and you've got to adjust to, like, doing class online, and for some, that's great, and for others, you're like, this is the worst thing in the world, Right? It's difficult. 
We've all had our, our share of, of sufferings, and the way this just felt like it's increasing throughout this year. I know it has for me. Like personally, I just walked with the elders through everything going on here at Anthem over the past few months. Work has been crazy, and, and I've watched teammates of mine be let go and experience loss in that way. And then my mentor from the time I was 12 was, uh, had COVID, was in ICU. We didn't know whether he was going to make it for a while. Praise God that he came through and survived. And then a week and a half ago, my, one of my good friends from southeast Missouri, 41-year-old, three kids, guy who taught me how to run these and train for Tough Mudders and obstacle course races, passed away from pancreatic cancer. The grief and the ups and downs that's in this life will be new and ever-changing. And all of this is only going to get more intense as the day draws near. Where can we find stability, peace, hope, and joy that actually lasts, joy that can go through the pain of losing a friend, of losing a mom, of going through longing to be a mother and not being able to. I've just experienced the turbulence and change and division of all around us swirling in our culture. Well, how do we find stability in the midst of that? Well, the solution is right before us in Hebrews chapter 10, and it's in 19 to 21. The gospel provides the anchor for our soul, provides the stability that our souls need by bringing us back to God. In, in chapter 6, verses 19 to 20, uh, the author says this, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. The gospel provides the steadfast anchor for our soul. Is, is that's the only story that can make sense of all the change and the challenges that we face and provide the solutions that we need. It's God at work through the gospel who is the only one who can sustain and satisfy your deepest longings. It's God's unchangeable character and his unchanging word that give us confidence in an ever-changing world. It's the point of that Hebrews 16 text. God's unchangeable character and his unchanging promises for us give us a steadfast anchor lost about by the storms that he gives us stability. At last, it's God and his gospel that provide life and meaning, hope and peace, and a steadfast anchor for our soul. How does it, how does it do that? It's Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. Because the gospel is simply the story of Jesus. Yes, it's good news for us because we're sinners and what he did and how he lived has incredible, amazing ramifications for us if we turn and trust in him. And it's as simple as that because it's a free gift of God. Totally and completely by grace so that we can't boast, but he gets all the glory. And we 
trusting in what he did, but it's all about Jesus. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news about him, that he came and lived a perfect life. He died the death that we deserve. He went to the cross. He became our substitute. He didn't deserve to die at all. And yet he went to the cross, and he didn't just bear physical pain for you and for me. He bore spiritual pain. He bore the anguish of being separated from God. Sin does. It separates us from God's presence. And that's what we all experience as sinners and sufferers in this world, is separation from the only one who can give life that lasts. And Jesus went to the cross, and he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's not because the whiplash was so painful. And it's not because... The nails in his hands hurt so much, and he could barely breathe, though all of that's true. But it's because he felt the relational separation from God, the Father, as all of God's wrath was poured out upon him for our sins. He became our substitute so that we could be brought back to God. He did that for you and for me. And then he, when he was buried, he rose from the grave three days later to prove that what he did on the cross has the power to put death and sin in the grave for good. And then he ascended to the Father. Forty days later, he ascended to the Father and he sits at the right hand of the throne of God before him now so that we can come to him and he is our high priest sitting next to him. That's what verses 19 to to 21 talk about here. That Jesus, through the good news of the gospel, through what he did in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, they give us access to God's presence and provision. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus gives us access to God's presence and provision. Verse 19 and 20. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Let's take that piece. Those two verses right there, that uses a lot of language that maybe we're unfamiliar with, the, the holy places, right? The curtain. What, like, what is all that talking about? Well, it's referring back to the temple in the Old Testament, right? And so there was, there were um, there were outer courts and then inner courts where people could, uh, the Jewish people could come to and then the priest could come into like the holy place and then the high priest was the only one that could once a year enter the holy of holies where God's glory dwelt in a very special way. His presence was manifested in a special way. And what Jesus did, and there was this huge curtain that set between the holy place and the holy of holies where that special presence of God dwelt. And when Jesus was on the cross in the Gospel of Matthew, it actually recounts how when he died and breathed his last last breath, that curtain ripped in two from top to bottom, showing that Jesus has given access through him, through his flesh, through his death, into the Holy of Holies. That we all, through Jesus, get access to the presence of the God of the universe. The one that we were destined to be separated from forever because of our sin, and he's a holy God, and if we were in his presence in our sin, hey, like, it would be just and right to snuff us out right there. But instead, God sent his son, God himself stepped down in Jesus Christ and took on that for us so that we wouldn't have to experience that. He took it on because only he could bear that. 
And he did all that so that we could come back into his presence. And so the gospel provides an anchor for our soul because Jesus gives us access back to the presence of God, the one who can give life and give it abundantly. We get to dwell with him. And gives us his Holy Spirit so that we walk with him 24-7 if we've turned and trust in Jesus. But he also gives us a special gathering with his people. Not just saving us as individuals, but also intending for us to gather as a people to enjoy his presence in community. He's given us special access to the presence of God by what Jesus did. And so we come together like the Old Testament people of God, like the people of God throughout all history, so that we can rejoice together, so that we can mourn together, so that we can step into the God's presence and enjoy him for who he is together and find that anchor for our soul and the only unchangeable thing in the entire universe in the person of God. And so Jesus gives us access to God's presence, but in then verse 21 it says, and... Since we have a great high priest over the house of God. It's that language of high priest or great priest. It's the idea of like the priest was the one that did go into the Holy of Holies. All right, back in the Old Testament. And now Jesus, because he's ascended, he sits at the right hand of the throne of God is how it recounts that elsewhere. And so Jesus is before God as our intercessor. So that, that when we pray... Like Jesus is on our behalf then sharing our request to the Father. He not only gives us access to his presence, but Jesus gives us access to the Father's provision, to life and peace and all that we need from a Father who all good gifts come from him. Jesus gives us access to God's presence and God's provision. And so that's how the gospel provides the anchor for our soul by bringing us back to God. And, And how incredible it is that we have access to the presence and the provision of the God of the universe. It's so easy to take that for granted. It is so easy to just kind of like burn right past that in our day-to-day lives. Forget how special it is that the God who created everything made a way for you to be back in relationship with him. Yes, to walk in that relationship 24-7, to to have his indwelling presence with us all the time, but then also to have this gift of the gathering in which we enjoy his presence together. It's too easy to take that for granted. Look, if if you want, like, I can give you my phone number or my email address, and I'm glad as, as, like, your pastor, one of your pastors, to be able to do that and to be able to come alongside you anyway, but access to me is just really not that special. It's just like, I'm just a guy, like, trying to figure out life too, right, right alongside you guys. Um, And and so, I'm glad to be here and serve you as your pastor, but like, access to me doesn't get you super far, right? Maybe like, you're at work, or or maybe you're a student, and like, access to your CEO in your company, like, that that might, like, presence and ability to ask anything of that person, like, that's probably uh, much, you're like, ah, that's what I would prefer, not Brandon's number, like, give me that guy's number, and I can enter in, and maybe it's a professor, like, you want to ask, like, hey, can you, like, can you grade that last exam on a curve, please, all right, and you get that audience in a favorable way, um, and, and so, like, that would be pretty good, right, and, but then think about even greater level, like, if you had access to the president of the United States, pick your president, it doesn't matter, just, like, president of the United States, all right, 
like the leader of the free world, okay? Like that you could be in his presence. That'd be pretty, like, that'd be pretty overwhelming, right? Like whether you agree with them or not, like it's still pretty overwhelming to be in the presence of someone who has, like, who is that level of leader and has that much power and like you get not only access to his presence, but you get to like ask him anything you want and like he's got the power to make it happen. Just about. But far more powerful than a president or CEO or certainly myself. It's the God of the universe. And you have access at any point in time to his presence and provision. And we get to revel in that together. We get to step in and have a week in and week out, a special time in which we get to enjoy God's presence and provision together. Because it's in light of that gift that we're given this call together. In verse 25, back to, to chapter 10, so it, in verse 19 it says, therefore, since we have access to God, and since we have access to God's provision through Jesus, then in verse 22, 23, and 24, it gives three let us blank, like exhortations here. And it says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Like, it's in light of this incredible gift in verses 19 to 21 that we're called to not neglect to meet together. It's a call to enjoy the gift of God of God's presence and his provision for us as a community and for us to do that in community. It's a call to be anchored in God in the midst of a turbulent world. It's a call to gather for the sake of your perseverance in the faith as well as those surrounding you in this room. It's a call to gather for the sake of our stability in the faith, our, our enjoyment of our God and the life and the abundant life that he offers to give us. It's not just a call to gather for the sake of stability, but, it, but even more than that, for flourishing in the gospel. And so why do we gather? We gather to remember and realign our lives with the gospel. We gather to remember and realign our lives with the gospel. We don't neglect to meet together because of what came before it, Right? Because of the good news of the gospel in verses 19 to 21, it's given us these incredible gifts. We are to act in this way, 22 to 24. And we do that in large part by gathering week in and week out, not neglecting to meet together. All three of those exhortations like, are connected to this not neglecting to meet together. How do we know that? Because our translation is a bunch of different sentences, right? Well, like I said, it's one long sentence and all three of these exhortations are let us, let us do these things. And there is a community aspect to all of these. And it means not just as individuals or like we need all of us, cross generations. We need people who've, who've experienced all of life, like that, can, that have gone before us and are, and are abundant in wisdom. We need people who, who have the energy of college students, right? Like to encourage those of us that are like, that are exhausted and having kids or, or like hitting retirement age. Like we need the energy and the ideas and all of that that come from college students. We need, like we need the little kids. At last service, we got to see a, a seven-year-old or, or so get baptized. Like to see that childlike faith and to be reminded it's not about having all the answers and to have a perfect way of formulating our faith, but rather it's just simple trust in Jesus. And we need 
all generations. We need all backgrounds in order to thrive as a community. And we do that. We gather together in this way to remember and realign our lives with the gospel, our steadfast anchor of the soul, stability in a completely unstable world. And so what is that what are we to do when we gather as God's people? Well, it's three pieces. It's those three exhortations. Verse 22, draw near, let us draw near. Verse 23, let us hold fast. And verse 24, let us consider how. Let's break these down just briefly here. Talk about like what are we called to do when we gather together? We draw near, first off. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. The language of draw near, what are we drawing near? We're just like getting close and like in COVID, we couldn't be quite as near, but now we could be a little closer, right? Like, no, it's talking about draw near to God. Because we, we see that he uses, the author of Hebrews uses that language several times throughout this book. It says, and he always, other than here, so it's implied here, it's draw near to God. Chapter 11, verse 6 says, And without faith, it's impossible to please him, for everyone who would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so we're called to draw near to God together, come before the Lord together, and enter his presence as God's people together. The way the church is referred to over and over again, with, uh, whenever church is used in the New Testament, it, the original word for that is ecclesia, which just simply means assembly just means assembly. And so it's, it is talking about a gathering, like a huge part of what it means to be God's people is to assemble together, to do it in order to draw near to God, because that is always our first priority. It's, it's to, to remember and realign with God through the gospel. Think back a couple of weeks ago, and no, you probably don't remember the sermon super well a couple of weeks ago, but when we talked, we were, we were talking about God's one timeless purpose for us as his people, that God and his glory Give order to all that we do. It's not just like the first check mark and like a list of tasks, but rather it's what it's, the whole task list is all about. And so our first purpose in gathering here is to remember and realign with the God of the gospel. So draw near to him. That's why that traditionally in churches throughout the ages, and, and we do this here often, is we have a call to worship. Because it reminds us that that's why we've come. We've been called by God to come and worship him together. We read scripture and, and we're reminded that we, we don't initiate this relationship. God did. He calls us to worship him and to enjoy him together. So we have a call to worship. But God is this, the center and focus of all that we do. Enjoying his presence with one another in a unique way in the gathering. And we need this. We need this because throughout our weeks, so many other things vie for our attention, vie for our time, vie for our desires and our appetites. They vie for our worship. And so we need to come back together and to be reminded by one another and by everything that happens in this service that everything centers on God and to realign our lives with that so that as we go back out in the week ahead, that that's where we're starting from in that unstable world that we live in. And so we first draw near to God. We realign with God through the gospel. Then verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. 
verse 23 is focused on remember the gospel, right? We gather to remember and realign our lives with the gospel. So this idea here is hold fast to the confession, hold fast to the promises of God, because the one who promised is faithful. He's unchanging. His promises are unchanging, so you can count on them. So remember the good news of the gospel. Remember all the promises of God that, are, that find their yes in Jesus, what the gospel is all about. And so you hold fast. We gather so that we can help one another hold fast. Right? Because sometimes, like, we need someone holding our hand on when we just don't have the strength to do it anymore. And so we hold fast. We remember the gospel when we come together. Colossians chapter 3 Verse 16 says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. And it's talking about a community aspect. Let the word of God dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so all that we do here is to be letting this word, letting the gospel truth dwell in us. Remember that gospel. And so that's why we have scripture readings. Not just to the sermon, but, but in between songs. We, yes, we have the preaching to remind us, but, but man, we want to read this word because this is the very word of God. Like, I am a fallible preacher, but this word is infallible. This word is perfect and true through and through, and you can count on it from beginning to end. And so we read scripture to remind, remember the gospel. We do preach to proclaim the gospel and be reminded of truths, but we also sing. Did you catch that in Colossians 3.16? We actually teach and admonish. We remember the gospel in our singing. That's why we sing songs that aren't just about like how God makes us feel, right? Kind of the Jesus is my boyfriend thing. Um, and uh, I don't know. Uh, sorry, I won't go there. Um, but uh, we, we sing the truths about God. We sing and are reminded about who he is and what he's done because it's his strength and what he's done for us that gives us stability in this world, not our feelings. Our feelings are all over the place. That, that's what some of the most unstable things, our feelings come and go. Often we can't sing, I surrender all, with every, like, like none of us have surrendered all at any point, right? There's always things we're holding on to. We sing those things and we, we pray that that would be true. But we've also sing songs that are just simply the speaking of the truth about God so that we can remember that he is faithful when we're suffering and broken when we've lost loved ones. And, and then, like, so not only do we sing, but we, we fellowship, right? And we have that greeting time, we have before and after, and, and we need to come to this gathering ready to minister to one another. It isn't just Brandon that gets up here and preaches, or Matt, or others that get up here and preach, and that's the communication of the word, or even the singing. But actually, we're all called to come and encourage one another all the more as the day draws near. And so we need to be, like, I need you guys, and you need me. We all need one another to be in this word throughout the week so that we can bring God's word and remind one another of the truth of the gospel as well. This isn't, like, pastors are here to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so it is about what we do for one another in that fellowship. We help one another hold fast. Not just your pastors or ministry leaders or salt directors. But we come together and we help one another hold fast. And then we have these incredible visible pictures of the gospel, these tangible things, because we're called, like the psalmist says, that we should taste and see that the Lord is good. 
right? And so we're given, like in baptism, where, where we see like people go under the water and it pictures the death to sin and the cleansing we have in Christ. And we come back up and we say we're raised to walk in newness of life. It's not the waters that save us. They just picture what's happened in our souls and reminds us of the gospel to help us hold fast to the confession that we've made. And, and, and then we have the Lord's Supper and we literally taste, touch, feel the truths of the gospel. A picture, a, a powerful picture that God intends to use to build us up and remind us of the good news of the gospel. So everything we do here is we gather to remember and realign our lives with the gospel, to hold fast to the confession. And we need this whether we're in a season of joy and anticipation or in a season of turmoil and sorrow. It was earlier, it was Monday of this week that I went to my friend's uh, funeral. And after that, I was trying to turn my attention to prepping to, to preach this weekend and was just, I don't know if I can do it. I mean, I was talking to Matt at one point. Like, I, I don't know if I'm going to have the strength to get up there. I don't know if I can even, like, work my thoughts out enough. And I was, I was just reflecting on what this is all about, though, is that it's not about me having the strength on my own. It is about the Lord's strength, but it's also, like, like it's about the strength of this body, is that, that, like, it's not about, like, having everything together when you get up here. It's not about having everything together when you walk in these doors. We desperately need one another to remind us of the truth of the gospel. I, I, I need to look around this room and hear the voices sing this week what feels like more than ever. As I, I just heard us singing before I stepped up here, the, the voices were ringing out that, the, like, uh, Jesus put death in its grave. <laughs> Praise God. I'll get to see Ryan one day again. I needed to hear you guys sing that today. And that gave me strength as I stepped up here. And, and like, we need one another to remember the gospel because sometimes it's hard to hold on in those seasons. So we don't come in here faking it till we make it, all right? It's not what it's about. We come in here knowing that we need God and one another to remember and hold fast to the confession, but also to realign with one another to realign with, with proper relationship with one another. Verse 24 it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. It's we remember and realign our lives with the gospel in relationship to one another, to love one another well. And, and so there's opportunities to serve on Sunday morning. Right? So we can remember that like, like we've been saved to, to worship God and to serve one another to model Jesus' love for one another, to live that identity out, to, to humble ourselves. And like, like we have opportunities to do that so that we can realign our lives in service because our world, our world around us is, is pressing us to be self-centered. It's pressing us in, in so many ways to be self-centered. But Jesus calls us to a selfless life. And so you can get plugged into a variety of ways to serve on Sunday morning so that you can realign your life. In one small way, to realign your life with service of others. Now, these people that get up here and, and lead worship, like they're servants. Like, get this, um, for those of you that haven't woken up before like 8 a.m. in a really long time, all right, you come to the 11 or 1045 service, so you know, like you're trying to sleep in on Sundays. Like this worship team that's up here serving you guys got here at 640 this morning. 
They're serving. Yes, they enjoy what they do, but, but that is an act of service. On a Sunday morning, a weekend morning, especially as finals are approaching for many of them, like to get here and give that extra energy for us. And we do that because Jesus first served us, right? And so there's serve in a variety of ways. We have the greeting time, right, to remind us we've been saved not just as individuals but into a community. And then we send out from here because, yes, like we gather but as the church, but we don't just suddenly not become the church when we're not gathered. We, we're then sent out to scatter amongst the world to, to, to be able to take the gospel to those who don't yet know Christ. And so we need these to remind us to, of our identities as family with one another and missionaries of the world to, to grow in these identities. And so we gather to remember and realign our lives with the gospel in a variety of ways. And to wrap up this morning, take us back to Tough Mudder for a second, because I can kind of just like feel all the pains every move I make, so I can't get it off my mind completely, sorry. Um, but at the beginning of Tough Mudder, they actually, uh, they bring us all to the starting line, and there's this huge group, and I, like, I came with Christian, and that was my teammate in my mind, but, but they actually brought us all together and like, look around. You may have come with one or two people, but all of these people are your teammates now. And then they, they started talking out and they started laying out these rules and, you know, Tough Mudder's kind of intense and so they're like, look, if you find someone face down in the mud and they're not moving, like not going anywhere, like that person's your teammate now. Like you need to like, like they tell us the proper way, don't move them and all this sort of stuff. I don't know. Uh, thankfully, you don't provide first aid. But um, so they, they're like, do this and like they're giving us like how to, how to operate on the run and then they like prep us to launch out and race together as a team setting the prize before us of the finish line. And yes, they're like, man, it's going to be tough. But when you get to that finish line, man, it's going to be amazing. And you're going to have conquered this, what seems like unconquerable thing right now. And you're going to have victory. And they send us out in, in a much better way. In a much better way. We get to do that on a weekly basis right here. I, like, yes, Hebrews 11 talks about all these great heroes of the faith, and then chapter 12 says we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. I'm talking about them, but it's also talking about us. You get to come in here and be surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses for a race that's set before us in an unstable world. And it's the gospel that can provide the steady anchor of our soul. And so let's just finish with Hebrews 12 as this reminder. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to who? To Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Father, we we praise you for all that you've done for us in Jesus Christ. We, we thank you for uh, the good news about Jesus that saves us from our sins, that provides us life for all of eternity with you, and provides us stability in the midst of an unstable, ever-changing world. God, I pray that if there are people here that have never trusted in you today, God, that they would trust in you and find this, the only place of stability and peace and joy and life everlasting. But for those of us that, that, that know that love, that have experienced that in Jesus, God, I pray that you would help us be committed to one another, be committed to this gathering so that we would continue to grow in our stability in you, that we would continue to, to find peace and hope in whatever season we're walking through, and that we would help to provide that for one another.
by the good news of the gospel. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.